Hi everyone, welcome to the Real World Behavioural Science Podcast. My name's Stu King and I run a behaviour change organisation called Busybodies. We're creating this on behalf of the Behavioural Science and Public Health Network, who exist as a network of professionals from academia, from industry and from public health. And I just wanted to make the point that it's a really great organisation to be a part of and an opportunity to connect with a diverse range of people who are interested in behavioural and social sciences at all levels. So that's students right up to people who are public health leaders and academics, and also people with just a passing interest in the behavioural sciences. So if you're interested in joining, you can do so right now for just £25 or £10 if you're not working or if you're a student, and I highly recommend it. So get yourself over to www.bsphn.org.uk. So this is a continuing show from our mini-series around the unfolding coronavirus issue. Uh, This is number four, and this was recorded on the 26th of March, which I think is worth stating due to how quickly this situation is changing. So we're back on again with uh, Professor Susan Mickey, who is the Director of the Centre for Behaviour Change at UCL, and who's also helping to advise government on the behavioural science underpinning of the coronavirus. And the other person that we've got with us, as always, is Professor Jim McManus, who is Director of Public Health at Hearts County Council. He's very busy at the moment dealing with the massive response that the council's having to, to sort of be a part of. I have to add a couple of caveats to today's show, however, because we unfortunately lose Jim quite early in this interview. Like everybody else, we're adjusting to remote working and we suffered some technical issues uh, quite early on. So sorry about that, everyone. I know you really value Jim's opinions, but and we will have uh, a small amount of, of Jim's advice and opinions in this show, but you'll just have to savour that small amount for now. Um, I will get hold of Jim and I will try and get some more views from him and he'll definitely be in the next show. We'll work out our issues before then. Uh, but this is real life and we're adapting to, to this situation like everybody else. The other thing is that Susan briefly mentions that we're not being not clear about government position on self-employed people and renters. And that's because this was recorded about an hour before Rishi Sunak's announcement regarding self-employed workers. So there is more clarity about this now, although watching Question Time last night certainly threw up some questions that require clarification, which I'm sure the government will provide. So over to the show, I'll just get stuck straight in because we're, we're obviously in unprecedented times right now, guys. And the word unprecedented, in fact, is being used more than I've ever heard it before. So just just give us your opinion on, on what the main outcomes of this lockdown period are for people individually, but also society more widely. Uh, well, the outcomes are at many different levels. Uh, starting with individually, what we know from the evidence is that people in this sort of quarantine situation suffer a range of emotions, um, which include boredom, frustration, loneliness, uh, depression, which gets worse as time goes on. Um, also, uh, there's huge challenges in terms of how you suddenly um, live your life in terms of shared spaces, negotiating that with other people in the household. There may be households where it's really cramped. Um, then you're l- losing a lot of things. People are faced with all sorts of losses um, from the, all the things that they've gained pleasure from in their lives outside their home. Um, for, for some lucky people, it's uh, work and colleagues at work, uh, workmates. For other people, it's um, their leisure, hobbies, recreational activities. And then I think probably most important, uh, people are, are losing each other. Uh, we're very social creatures. Uh, we really need each other. And I think um, whilst 
most people can access other people through telephone or social media, it's not the same as giving your children, your grandchildren, your mom and dad a, a big hug. Um, so I'd agree with everything Susan says, but for me, there's the issues of people trying to find ways of coping in a situation they haven't been in before and may actually begin to feel de-skilled. So you get an awful lot of people asking for advice that actually, if they just think through, um, would be fairly obvious to them. But the unusualness of the situation feels like it de-skills them. So you have to talk them through some basic first principles. I think the other thing is there is a real issue, I think, about um, isolation and loneliness that's creeping up for some people who are living on their own, but for others actually being cramped up in uh, the same house can be difficult. And finally, there's a real issue of grief and loss for, for you know because people are dying and their loved ones can't touch them uh, and may not even be able to allow to go to the funeral. And that's a real challenge. I, I, can, can I just say also um, that I think we need to look for the positives in any situation. It's, it's not a situation any of us would have chosen. And I think that's a whole other issue from a psychological point of view, the lack of control over one's situation. But the other thing I think is really important to focus on what can become positive in the situation, what can be made of the situation. So there are a couple of things that spring to mind. One is uh, the community that's really getting organized and mobilized. And this is fantastic and really needs to be welcomed and celebrated. And I think it's really good for people um, both to give and to receive and and express gratitude for that. So I think there's a a level of emotional connectedness um, that can come out of this. The other thing is for people to try and be creative and think about this is an opportunity. You know, are the things that you can now do that you've never done before? Um, I mean, it's difficult now with uh, it being so limited, being able to go out to get things. But I'm thinking of baking, shopping. Myself and my husband, who's a guitarist, we're going to be singing a song every day for my grandchildren. Um, So that's something we can do at home. And it's a positive thing that we've never done before. So just maybe thinking about little new things that we can do to compensate for the things that we've lost. I think that's a really good point, Susan. And it's it's interesting because you can see um, through social media and on the news that there's lots of people making uh, making use of this opportunity. And it, it seems like it's almost reset the way they think about how easy it is actually for us to be in touch with people. The, the level of video conferencing, both at work, but also between family members, you know, using WhatsApp for calling family members and having a chat and stuff. It's like it's an impetus for people to start talking and it's like it's reset their um, their, their modus operandi almost of, of like what it is that constitutes a reason to get in touch with someone. Um, and the, there's something in here about pro-social behaviour, isn't there? Um, mm. the, the, we have an opportunity uh, to help people cope with this and actually to come out of this better psychologically than we went into it if we emphasise, I think, two things. The first is that everything that we do now is an act of charity and care for others. I know I keep banging on about that, but I can't emphasise that enough. It is about an act of love for others that we are doing this to protect other people from being infected. And we know that that 
is a strongly motivating um, issue in human behaviour. I think the other thing um, is actually uh, it's about giving us a kind of commonality of behaving towards one another in a way that uh, looks for their best interests. So in my street, one of the things we've started is we go out regularly, um, our neighbours, and we clean the front door handles of our houses and we clean the doorbells and the gates several times a day to give added reassurance to delivery people that we take their work very seriously and we want to protect them. Um, so, you know, we are caring for our postie by making sure that our postie um, touches clean handles. Mm, that's a really good idea, Jim. Hopefully everyone's sort of listening to this and, and thinking about how they can do the same thing. Um, and so so moving on to these, the people that are, there are obviously millions of people self-isolating throughout this period. Um, for a lot of people, that's going to be quite tough. As you mentioned, Jim, a lot of people are going to be stuck in um, smaller, you know, if you live in a small flat or if you live with a lot of people, that might, that could be quite difficult. Um, relationships may be tested and also just, you know, people's idea of what they can do. So what sort of advice have you got for people who are who are self-isolating throughout this period? Okay, and this is the point at which we actually lost Jim, unfortunately, um, because he had some technical issues whilst he's working at home. Um, so the rest of the show will continue with just Susan, and I will pick up with Jim uh, later this week and hopefully have some of his views coming out in the next show as well. So back over to Susan with the same question, which is what, what advice does she have for people who are self-isolating at the moment? Um, advice to people self-isolating. First thing is to think space, think time. Um Make sure that you're not all on top of each other, that you work around each other, negotiate who wants to do what, where, when. And I think collectively, almost planning the day and structuring it, um, identifying bits of the house or even bits of rooms that can be the quiet bit, uh, that can be the the talking bit, um, so that one's not on top of each other. I think that's really key. I think another thing is just to ensure good communication. Um, mm. People aren't used to spending all that time with each other. And it's fine for people who get on really well and there's no pressure on space. But uh, for a lot of people, um, there is pressure on space. There may be massive anxieties mm. about people's financial situation, which still hasn't been resolved um, in the case of self-employed people. And in those situations, people can be well, it, it takes people in different ways, but mm. uh, tetchy, withdrawn, uncommunicative. And so I think the key thing is to communicate about what one's feeling. So whoever one's sharing a household with can understand it and try and keep keep talking, keep listening yeah. um, so that you really share those and understand those experiences. Yeah, it's really good advice. And one of the and one of the things that um, we're doing at the moment, from a busybody's perspective, is putting out advice for people, very practical advice on how they can make sure they stay healthy. So, so eating healthily, which is obviously a key part of um, being in the house all the time. They might have a bit more time to to prepare food and, and etc. Um, but the other thing is very very specific advice on on. Um, issues like not watching Netflix all day. So making <laughs> little behavioural adjustments yeah. that adjust your future, the default. So for example, disconnecting the autoplay feature. So we'll put out a video that shows how to disconnect autoplay and then also 
combine that with something like implementation intentions where you say, I'm only going to watch one of these. And to make that happen, I'm going to disconnect the autoplay and then I'm going to go and put my remote on the book that I want to read so that I have to actively go and, you know, find, I can see the trigger. It's, you know, I have to make a choice rather than it just be the default to just keep watching and watching and watching. I think keeping your mind active and keeping your body active is really important. Mm. Um, So I think what you're suggesting about taking control and planning is a really good idea and also ensuring variety that sometimes you do this, sometimes you do something different. So you keep a variety of things going during the day. Um, I mean, a couple of things just in this last week I've noticed in terms of me, I'm just sitting down more. You know, I'm, I'm still going on my, you know, getting my 10,000 steps by going on one long walk in the morning. But the rest of the time I'm sitting down, I'm getting lower back pain again. So mm. now I'm building in yoga in front of the television and, uh, you know, getting up from my chair, moving around exercises, um, you know, quite routinely. I've noticed my husband is engaged in all sorts of snacking, which he wouldn't do at work. Mm, you know, yeah, he goes yeah. down to make a cup of tea and suddenly half a packet of biscuits is gone. Yeah. Um, so you know you just have to observe yourself because this is mm. a new situation for us observe yourself and then think about okay what are the problems so lots of problem solving active problem yes. solving yeah. no that's a really good point it is active problem solving and and it being progressive as well to, to expect to get it all right straight away first time is unrealistic so giving yourself a bit of a break about the fact that this is completely new to you and to everybody mm. else and so getting it wrong is probably going to happen and Absolutely. don't throw the baby out with the bathwater basically <laughs> and, and don't beat yourself up um yeah. you know yeah. n- novelty being unprepared for things in a very scary situation is is going to be anxiety provoking for everyone and we've had a, a first phase where people are just thrown into this and just trying to sort things out and um yeah. kind of replan and reorganize one's life and who knows what it'll be like next week i mean the next couple of weeks is going to be pretty scary i think in terms of the demand on the health service and um you know people already getting very angry about seeing the delay that has been in the planning to get protective equipment for healthcare staff etc so you know from a kind of confusion sort of um time that we've all had i think we may be moving into an angry sort of time so i think you know recognizing these emotions and having something to do with those emotions you know whether it's yeah. signing petitions donating to the charities that you know the help poor healthcare staff have set up um connecting with other people but doing something with your emotions so that you feel you're making a difference even yeah. though we're severely curtailed uh, in terms of what we've usually done to make a difference really important yeah, and I, and I think that what we've seen quite a lot of, and you know, you mentioned earlier about reframing things to be a positive and as an opportunity. There, there's lots of opportunities in the home for people because they have more time, which is something that you mentioned on one of the other shows about people aren't used to having that amount of time, which can mm. cause problems because if they don't fill it productively, that, that can cause arguments. But this is an opportunity. But the other thing is um, that it's, it's great to see all of the volunteering um, sites that have mm. come up. for People are walking, you know, people who are working in the NHS are having their dogs walk by by students and they're having their kids looked after by people in the local area everyone uh, is really mucking in to to help those people who are you know working for us in the nhs so there has been a lot of positive stuff but i think you're right i think the uncertainty of the upcoming period will cause a lot more 
anxiety uh, as we go forward. Um, which, which actually brings me to my next question, really, which is, are you confident that the public will remain patient with these new restrictive measures if, if they go on beyond, say, the three weeks that we've, we've sort of talked about so far? I think it really depends on um, how the government reacts to things. I think that um, patience has been sorely tried over the last few days in the inconsistent messaging we've been getting about, um, you know, are we allowed to go out last weekend or not? You know, what exactly are we allowed to do? And then what's been happening is people have been in, because a lot of the terminology has been very ambiguous. Mm. Uh, You know, as behavioural scientists, we know, be behaviourally specific. The messages that we've been getting out haven't been. It's things like avoid. What does that mean? Non-essential, significantly reduce, try to. You know, these these are not helpful. And so what we've seen is some people interpreting it as stay at home and other people interpreting it as, um, well, go out, but, you know, be careful. And then one group is getting resentful against the other group, uh, which we absolutely don't want. We need solidarity at this time. Um, Another thing I think which uh, we know from the the literature makes a difference to the extent to which people will put up with this long term is the extent to which they think that things are equitable and just and fair and that everybody's being looked after. Mm. And unfortunately, I have to say with this government so far, um, what we've seen is, um, you know, the mortgage payers and the business um, businesses and those who are uh, employed getting looked after while the renters and the self-employed who are actually the least well off often have been ignored um, and we've got a situation which has been building up over the last couple of days where actually different ministers are saying different things about who should be staying at home and sh- who should be going into work what is essential and so we've got people um, well, in Scotland um, only essential construction workers are going to work in in uh, England it's different but people are being expected to go into situations where either they're not safe at work because they haven't got the protective equipment or they're being asked to work within two metres of each other or they're being asked to go into work when they're coming back to vulnerable people in their households. Now, mm. this is causing a lot of resentment. A lot of this is unnecessary. Um, so, you know, partly is what are the policies these need to be much more equitable and need to be looking after the most disadvantaged in our society, not increasing inequalities, which is the danger. And the other thing is the communication needs to be crystal clear and it needs to show that it's listening to people, that it understands the reality of people's situation and that it cares. And, you know, my concern is that we haven't been having that a second concern is I don't know whether this government is, is capable of it. But, mm. um, you know, we, we shall see. Um, but but these are the real uh, issues and, and problems we have. And we're, I mean, we're waiting for a, 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 an announcement, I think, tonight for um, self-employed and, and I hope renters as well, because I think it's a really key point and it's something that's a big cause of anxiety, particularly for those people for whom they don't have lots of savings in the background to sort of, you know, to, to see them through this period. Can I just add to that? I think the issue of our healthcare workers is just a, such an important central one. And I think people are going to get very angry about that. You know, here we have people, you know, already sacrificing so much to look after people who are very ill. And we have, you know, 
two sets of or several sets of problems. You know, one is this lack of protective equipment. Um, The other is having to work in situations um, where the demands are absolutely huge um, and and, and not so so much support um, and not having the the, um, extra things that could have been done, like requisitioning hotels for healthcare Mm. staff to live near to hospitals, for Mm. example, and so they don't have to go back to uh, vulnerable people in their own households. So, you know, the basic things that should be have, have been done for our healthcare workers haven't. And I think, you know, people are so grateful to what the healthcare workers are doing um, and, and getting kind of quite cross mm. about the way they haven't been better looked after. Um, big one. Yeah, it's going to be interesting after this is all said and done, what, what people focus on, um, for sure. Um, mm. I want to come back to the the people on the ground, so the people who are yeah. you know, self-isolating. And, and obviously you're one of the, the authors of the Behaviour Change Will. And, and I wondered, mm-hmm. using that and making it really mm-hmm. clear for people, you know, give us a couple of examples, Susan, about how they can use the Behaviour Change Will to, to build a situation at home that is actually tenable, could work for them in terms of creating healthy habits. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I mean, the healthy habits um, is about, first of all, motivation, you know, are people motivated uh, to do this? And I think that uh, one of the things for people to think about is we may be in this for a few weeks now. Mm. Uh, So even if it seems like we can get by sort of day to day at the moment, I think really helpful to try and envisage that we're doing this, say, for the next month um, and think about what is likely to help keep one as healthy as possible, physically um, healthy and also um, mentally healthy. Um, So one thing is to just think, actually, I am motivated to do this because um, there's going to be stresses undermining our immune system, um, inactivity. We're likely to be less active than we would be, however hard we try. So there's going to be things that are actually... um, not good for our physical and mental health. So um, being motivated to, to, you know, leave this situation in the best possible situation. And it could be that talking to other people can help with that motivational um, part of it. Um, In terms of the um, capability, um, I think it's about learning um, what things will be most likely to feed into the, the physical and mental health. Mm. Um, so what kinds of exercises can one do? And really looking to things like uh, YouTube uh, for uh, exercise classes that you can follow along to um, and learning new things. Maybe you thought I could never do, say, yoga. It's not mm. something I'd ever thought about. Um, but maybe give it a go, you know. Get some towels down if you don't have a mat. Um, I do yoga with Adrian every morning. It's a 30, 30 session, like 20 minutes or whatever. She's really a fun person to, to do it with. Um, so there are kind of new skills, uh, new knowledge maybe that you can uh, find out. And then um, the opportunity. Are there opportunities you've never thought about, about what you can do in a house? Um, I remember one time in terms of opportunity, 
I was giving a, a workshop at a, actually European Health Psychology Society conference. And um, a, at the break, a few of us went to the loo and it was um, huge, big, you know, it's a posh hotel, big marble um, sort of bathroom and big cubicles. And um, I was, I couldn't get out the door and I was, I was locked in. And by the time I realised that, uh, the others had, had left and um, I was due to um, actually take the next session. So my co-facilitator came back and said, are you all right? I said, I can't get out. <laughs> Can you go and tell somebody? So they went to tell the um, uh, hotel, people in charge of the hotel, and said, you know, just locked in, will you go and, and uh, get her out? And she then took the session. I was in there for two hours because they went to the wrong set of toilets, thought I'd I'd gone and therefore didn't do anything about it. And so um, my co-facilitator had just sought the workshop for the next two hours. So it was two hours before they wow. found me. So that was that was quite um, a challenge in terms of, I mean, talk about self-isolation. It's very confined. I didn't yeah. know how long I was going to be in there. And it was, luckily, it was quite a, a nice cubicle, yeah, you know, yeah. marble floors and all the rest of it. So, um you know, this is where you have to say, okay, this is this is my situation. This is my opportunity. What do I do with it? Um, so um, the first thing was to, because I go to Pilates, I just made it into a bit of an exercise studio. Oh, you wow. Know, obviously, put, put the lid of the toilet down. Yeah. And just thought, what can you do with, um, you know, using the the toilet seat as a, a platform, using the walls, etc. So I just uh, routinely began doing that. Um then I would do a sort of a bit of a session of mindfulness with breathing and relaxation. Um, I mean, obviously, I was in a situation where I kind of know how to do that. Uh, then I would do some uh, kind of just thought experiments that, you know, just thinking about when I wonder what uh, is going on with the workshop that I'm not at and just systematically thinking through things. But, you know, focusing on a, a calm way. Um, so I kept that going for two hours until wow. um, uh, they came back, and uh, then afterwards the hotel was so shamefaced. Uh, they said, "What they what could they do in return for this having happened to me?" So I said, "You can buy me and all my friends a drink in the bar in the evening." I've had, not had so many friends in my life. <laughs> so some pro-social behaviour at the end there as well. Yes. Wow! So even when you're when you're in stressful situations, you still get down to some behaviour change stuff. In the... <laughs> I well, the thing thinking... is, you think well, there's no alternative. You know, no. what's the point of stressing? I am, it is what it is. I am where I am. How can I make the best of this time? Mm. I'll never get this time back again. So right. just make the most of it. A sage advice there from Susan Mickey, if you're interested <laughs> or if you're ever stuck in a toilet. Um, one, of the, one of the things that brings to mind, Susan, is actually um, the, the Joe Wicks PE classes that are going on. I've been really impressed with the way that TV and, and different personalities have rallied around this and said, well, I'm going to put this out for free. I'm going to do that for, for free. And Joe Wicks' PE is interesting because the opportunity is there every day. It's on TV. You know, it's something that's healthy for the kids to do. It's, and actually I've, I know a lot of adults that are doing it also. Um, there's quite a lot of motivation because Joe Wicks is a bit of a sort of, you know, a, a name and, and everyone wants to sort of watch his show. He's, he's interesting to watch. Um, and from a capability perspective, it's building the, building their, you know, their physical capability. It's building their, 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 you know, their, their learning as they're doing it and how to do that. And also from a social norming perspective, I think it's knowing that you're part of something bigger is a really important yeah, thing yeah. for people. And, and they know yeah. that loads of people are doing it because everyone's going on social media and, and you know tweeting about it on Facebook and stuff. Oh, so, right. yeah, it's re I mean, it's really good in 
I think a small but good example of how how combi really works on something that's not designed with that in mind, but you know people are actually picking it up and, mm. and using it. Yeah. Um, so so um, one of the questions I wanted to ask ask you, Susan, is whether whether you were confident that the behaviour change strategy that's being used by the government will actually help to stem the tide of the disease. So are we? Is is it is the plan that they've got at the moment working? And uh, what needs to change if if they uh, if it's not? Well, in terms of the behavioural science advice um, into the government, it's not a a one-to-one translation by any means. Mm. Um, So we have a committee which is made up of um, people with expertise in anthropology, social psychology, implementation science, health psychology, etc. We, um, on the basis of uh, reviews of the literature, expert opinion, etc., address questions that are set to us. That then goes to um, the committee called Scientific Advisory Group in Emergencies, which also has a modelling committee and a clinical committee feeding into it, as well as um, a lot of other individual experts. So they put all of this together um, to address questions. Um, And then obviously that then goes to COBRA and the government. So what comes out the other end can be a far uh, cry from what has been put in at the beginning. And um, I think one of the things that I'm definitely aware of is there's a a lot of talk from the government about we are following scientific advice. Um, But the truth of the matter is, is that there is a tension between a public health agenda where you really focus on saving lives above all else and an economic agenda Mm. where you want to keep, um, you know, Britain PLC open for business. And we've seen this uh, in the United States with things that Trump have said, and you've seen it here with things that uh, Boris Johnson has said and different ministers emphasising this in a a different way. Um, So, you know, I think we have to be wary um, of the extent to which uh, some of the decisions are really based on um, some of the science because yeah. we just yeah. don't know. I, th- don't know. I, I think I think you you're you're totally right, and particularly to bring Trump uh, in, into it because it, he's he's already advocating that in some states and and you know large percentages of the population will be in church together on Easter Sunday, um, and in the same mm. briefing had his chief scientific officer come up and sort of basically say. Uh, you know, let's not make any assumptions. Let's use evidence. That's you can see Trump trying to push a political agenda v- really hard against mm. what the scientific community is saying, and and, and there's a, mm. a visible tension between those when they do briefings together. It's it's scary actually to to think that that's what's happening. Uh, do you think it's happening to the same extent in Britain though, or or, or is it? It looks like quite sound advice when you see, you know, you've got um, Boris doing his briefings, and then you have the the, the uh, was it Patrick Valance and, and um, Chris Whitty either side of him? That looks like a good mm. picture to me, and they seem to be on the same page. What do you do? They seem to be on the same page to you from your perspective. I've got no idea. I mean, yesterday there was uh, three hours of um, a House of Commons Science and Science and Technology uh, committee meeting that was interrogating Neil Ferguson from the Modelling Committee, uh, Patrick Valance. Um, range of people from PHE and uh, Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet, who's been very critical of the delays mm-hmm. um, and the uh, particular strategies that have been used. Uh, really 
interesting. Um, and I think we're in a situation where um, there's a lot of uncertainty and we don't know. Uh, so Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance have um, a lot of respect uh, from the scientific and the medical uh, communities. And I think they're trusted figures. Um, that's one thing. Um, there's also an issue that um, we didn't follow WH advice about the early testing and the containment and the kind of earlier lockdown. Mm. Um, there's a sense that we haven't really looked enough at the Chinese situation, what we could have learned from there. And Richard Horton yesterday mentioned three papers, I presume published in the Lancet from China, and um, those haven't found their way into SAGE and therefore government policy. Um, so there's uh, definite question marks and um, concerns. Um, one issue is the extent to which um, and how the ways in which one raises concerns about government strategy, because mm. on the one hand, it's obviously a, a duty, uh, to a scientific professional with ethical duty to do that if you think that lives are being unnecessarily lost because the strategy is wrong. On the other hand, um, we know that trust in the leadership, the people giving the advice is so key mm. uh, for adherence. So um, questioning that then undermines uh, the public perception of trust yeah. and then in a different way can end up with less adherence and therefore lives being lost. So we're in a really difficult situation. Um, I do think huge questions need to be asked and addressed after this is over. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some people are saying, you know, British exceptionalism, we just want to do it our way. But then on the other hand, others are saying, well, we were further down the track. So maybe there's new things we learned. And it was a bit of a different situation. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of discussion to be had. Uh, so I think it's a it's a question of getting that balance right. And there's no easy answers. And and so what what um, what do you think the long term public health behavioural changes or, or the public behavioural changes we need to encourage amongst the public following the crisis? Because as far as I can see, what we're doing at the moment is trying to flatten the curve. And so if if that's what we're doing by by self isolating and, and not going into public spaces for this period of time, presumably this isn't actually going to go away until there's a vaccine. Um, so so yeah. what? What what will the future? I mean, this is probably a bit unfair to ask it, but what does the future beyond three mm. weeks, five, you know, six weeks? Are we still going to have to limit quite a lot where where we go and who we do it with? Because because it's still going to exist for a period of time. Well, interestingly, behaviours interact with each other uh, and with social policy. There's there's a system we're talking about here. So if you think about the three behaviours that we all have control over hand washing, using tissues and not touching the T-zone, which is eyes, nose and mouth. Mm -hmm. um, those, the more we adhere to that and do those, the less we'll have to socially distance because that will reduce the transmission uh, considerably. Um, so what we do today will make a difference to what we end up having to do tomorrow. At the moment, I, it's real unknowns mm -hmm. about um, quite how the virus is going to go. I mean, listening to the um, Science and Technology Committee inquiry yesterday, nobody was prepared to predict more than about three weeks 
uh, in advance uh, in terms of what we have to do. So I think um, the long-term things in, in terms of our behaviours, I think adopting those three I've just told, told you about, they are absolutely key to reducing all infections. You know, flu every year kills thousands and thousands of people. If we could adopt these and they become culturally habitual, like washing hands was when I was a child, that would be great. These should be kept for the long term. Um, I think the other issue is about how do we um, change our mindset and therefore our behaviour in terms of doing things for the social good and the community good, not necessarily just for our own good. Um, We've had a whole generation brought up with um, individualism and consumerism. And so no wonder that people are sort of shaped to what do I want to do? Um, what will help me? Um, I think the the long-term future, both for this pandemic and saving lives, also for our society, is um, really changing that mindset. You know, to, to what other countries have more, whether it's Northern Europe, whether it's Southeast Asia, which is um, the focus being the community and the collective and solidarity and really... <laughs> thinking about others and getting satisfaction and enjoyment and finding out that actually just sometimes focusing on yourself doesn't make you that happy. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's a there's quite a bit of evidence that thinking about other people, helping other people, uh, getting connected with bigger causes like uh, saving this planet uh, and doing that together um, collectively in solidarity for a bigger purpose um, can be incredibly good for people's well-being and mental health. And I, I mean, these are all fantastic points, Susan. And, and I, I see that happening now. You see people, you know, taking, I think, taking pleasure in, in helping others and moving towards a more sort of collective society. However, people enjoy exercise when they do it uh, and they feel great afterwards. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they're going to have a lifetime of, of exercise after. So what can we do to try and make make sure that the this the the you know the hand what you know the hand washing and hygiene things that you mentioned that we should be kept for the long term and this push towards a sort of more collective society view how do we make sure that those do become long term and not just we're we're you know we're in a we're in a hole together now let's let's all pull together and then after it's finished just sort of disband and go mm-hmm. back into our own lives i think the key is community engagement and community mobilization mm. i think if we can keep that going the rest of it follows because, you know, we can begin looking after ourselves. A really interesting uh, country is Cuba. I don't know if you've ever been to it. Fantastic country. I first went there in 1978 as a student. And um, that is such a different society than we have here, um, where healthcare, education, uh, culture, sport is prioritised, is, you know, all but pretty well free for people, um, despite, you know, a big US blockade, which has really starved as funds. So they have a very low GDP. But their health, their education, their well-being, their engagement with society and with each other is is just wonderful. Um, And so I think, you know, it's worth us looking at other societies and um, how they organize themselves uh, this isn't the only way and i think it may 
make people question it. I was at a meeting a few months ago and a pediatrician from Birmingham was reporting on a trip he'd, he'd um, just come back from Cuba. And he was talking about their um, their polyclinic system. So, you know, all, all their, their democracy, the whole way they um, organise their societies based on um, communities, neighbourhood blocks to begin mm. with, um, and uh, then kind of going outwards. So their healthcare is very, very community-based. And these polyclinics are fantastic, you know, because they'll have a social worker, a physio, occupational therapist, you know, lots of different people all, all um, in this uh, polyclinic. And uh, they were asked, um, he said when they were there, it's I think a healthcare delegation, they asked, um, you know, how long is your waiting list uh, for um, somebody to be seen by a psychologist? And the response, uh, the person who responded was a bit embarrassed and said, you know, well, unfortunately, we don't have a psychologist here every day. So you might actually have to wait three or four days to see a psychologist, (laughs) you know, it's and this is a poor country, you know, compared to us. Um, But she was embarrassed that somebody had to wait days to see a psychologist. Um, But, you know, they don't have this huge inequality. So what resources they have are really shared. Mm. Um, so I, I would say, you know, anybody who's who's beginning to, through this, will begin to think that our country, the way we um, organise our society, um, doesn't make sense. Do look at a country like uh, Cuba. I, I, I find it, you know, since 78, I've probably been there 14 times, maybe wow. over all those years. Yeah. Um, and I just find it an inspirational country and another world is possible. Well, what a great note to end on. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I will uh, at some point press you on some of those points as well, because uh, you, you have agreed to do a full show. I mean, we're doing these shows for, for coronavirus. I'll do, I'll, I'm happy to do <laughs> yeah. them whenever. But we'll do a full show because I'd love to do one of uh, the whole of your career and treat trips cuba or all of that can come into it um but but that would be really really great and i know that people on the show people, yeah. regular listeners to the show would really like that um so so just before we close then susan is there any um any any other advice that you've got for people at home uh, or do you want to sum up some of the some of the key points that uh, that we've mentioned today I'd, I'd say a few main messages is uh be kind to yourself as well as being mm, kind to other people one. these are difficult times and not everybody will be coping as well as everyone else. And some people may be showing their anxiety or their frustrations in, in unfortunate ways. Mm. So try to be you know, as understanding as possible. Uh, whilst recognising uh, the privations, the things that we don't have at the moment as a result of uh, the situation we're in, um, keep focusing on why we're doing it and also focus on other opportunities how can I make the best out of every day I have in this situation rather than thinking about how it'd be nice not to be in this situation much like you're in the toilet that time you mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) so I I think those would be my main main messages well I think they're great and and so um I just wanted to thank you again for your time, um, Susan, and coming on the show. I know you're doing a lot of media stuff at the moment, so it's great to have you on. Um, I will be catching up with Jim as well. We we lost Jim halfway through that interview, so I'm going to go and pick that up with Jim and and make sure we get his contributions as well. Um, But for the meantime, thanks so much, Susan, and I'm sure we'll be making another show in the next week or so because this this situation is changing so regularly that it sort of necessitates regular, regular chat. So thank you very much. Well, pleasure. Great to talk to you.
So I just want to say thanks again to Susan and to Jim there. Sorry about losing Jim early on. We will work out our technical issues for next uh, for the next show. But it was really great to hear from Susan about a wide range of things there from the individual level at which people are um, having to adapt and make behavioural changes, but also the government response, because Susan's obviously linked to that, and, and then what we should be doing after. I think it's really interesting for us to think about. Um, so... Next show should be recorded early next week, so it'll be out around the middle of next week, and that will be another update based on this unfolding issue of the coronavirus. In the meantime, look after each other, stay safe, stay home as much as you possibly can, and um, I look forward to, to catching you on the next show.